0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to
1: the Water Cooler, everybody. Thanks for being along for the ride. I'm David Brody. It's Thursday, January 21st, 2021. We begin today with the purge. The purge of the Trump administration. President Biden systematically going through everything and anything, one by one, issue by issue, and taking out his pen and authorizing executive orders in a whirlwind fashion. It's hard to keep up, quite frankly, Uh, 10 of them in just the first day or two. One of the big ones is on COVID, where, among other things, he's requiring a mask mandate on federal property. Well, wait a minute. Uh, Look at this. Is Joe Biden already in violation of his own mask mandate executive order? Here he is at the Lincoln Memorial, in other words, federal property, not wearing a mask last night. What the what? So much to discuss about these executive orders. But first, to some news of the day. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi taking uh, talking about COVID-19 and has plans to get a COVID relief
2: bill on the floor
1: by February 1st.
2: And what did we learn this morning? We learned this morning that the Trump administration had no real plan for the production and distribution Of the vaccine, just another in a series of their terrible, ineffective approach to it from the start in denial, delay, distortion, calling it a hoax. And now we find that they don't, they didn't even have a plan. As we go forward though, we see- Terrible,
1: ineffective, so much for unity. Off to a great start. Uh, Pelosi also making news on the impeachment trial. She was asked about when she's planning to send over that article of impeachment against President Trump so a trial can begin.
2: We will be in the next few days when I'll be talking with the managers as to when uh, the Senate will be ready for the trial of the then President of the United States for his role. In instigating an insurrection on the House, on the Capitol of the United States, on our democracy, to undermine the the will of the people. It's very clear his has been on this path for a while, but that just that day, he roused the troops, he urged them on to fight like hell.
1: And on and on and on she goes. All right, Pelosi also brought up the distinct possibility that some Republican members may have had a role in aiding and abetting the January 6th riots. Here's what she said
2: Uh, There is no question that there were members in this body who gave aid and comfort uh, to those with the idea that they were embracing a lie, a lie perpetrated by the President of the United States that the election did not have legitimacy. These people believed that they believe the president. The president of the United States, his words have weight. They weigh a ton, in fact. So that's one thing. In terms of what you suggest, everything has
1: Yada, 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 yada. Okay, great. Knock yourself out, Nancy. By the way, what did you know? When did you know it? (laughs) Now, on the Republican side, their focus seems to be, for the moment at least, on this big illegal immigration bill that Democrats are about to concoct and cobble together. House Minority Leader uh, Kevin McCarthy says Democrats have their priorities all messed up because he says they're trying to take care of illegal immigrants before American citizens.
3: I was disappointed
4: to see within hours of... Assuming office, the new administration was more interested in helping illegal immigrants than helping our own citizens. More interested in virtue signals to the climate activists than supporting the union workers who were building the Keystone Pipeline. And more interested in appeasing the WHO than getting to the bottom of how China released this virus to the world in the first place.
1: All right, for more on the actual immigration debate that's about to heat up on Capitol Hill, I want to bring in Noah Weinrich, uh, Press Secretary with the Heritage Foundation. Noah, great to have you on the show today.
5: Hi, David. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, what's the biggest concern about what you're hearing from Democrats on this uh, illegal immigration bill? I'm sorry, they call it an immigration bill, but, uh, you know, let's just get the whole story out there. Illegal immigration bill. They, They want to put this forward. What's your take?
5: That's right. Well, where to begin? Uh, The whole bill is a problem. Effectively, it would grant amnesty 11 million or more illegal immigrants who are already here, who crossed illegally, who have been living here for years. Some of them, uh, including farm workers, TPS recipients, and dreamers, uh, they would be eligible for a green card immediately after three years they could get citizenship, which means that millions could be voting in the 2024 election. Uh, So not only would this undercut American workers, but it would add uh, millions to the voter rolls, of course, who would likely vote Democrat. Uh, And so instead of prioritizing American workers, American voters, and the American economy, Biden's first priority was to send a massive blanket amnesty bill to Congress that was too extreme even for Obama.
1: Yeah. And, Noah, I'm curious about whether or not the Senate, uh, you know, the House has their own issues, but the Senate, uh, whether or not they'll even uh, be able to pass something like this. uh, What is your sense? My understanding, unless they change the filibuster rules, they're going to need 60 votes on cloture, right? I mean, to even to even get this bill passed at this point, unless they change the rules, of course.
5: That's exactly right. Uh, They only have 50 votes plus Kamala Harris's tiebreaking vote. And so they would need 60 votes, which is why they are talking about destroying the filibuster. Just today, uh, Democrats responded to McCarthy and, I'm sorry, McConnell and Schumer had been talking about keeping the filibuster, saying they're not going to keep it. They're not going to listen to McConnell. So they're prepared to get rid of the filibuster, pass this bill with uh, Kamala's tie-breaking vote. Of course, that would open the door to court packing, Green New Deal, defunding the police, all sorts of unpopular legislation that would never pass a filibuster which is why they're prepared to just simply get rid of it
1: Yeah, and and I want to put up a couple of other of these executive orders from a legal immigration standpoint on border security uh, that uh, Joe Biden has been talking about. So, so let's go to that graphic. And we put this graphic up yesterday. We want to put it up again. We want to get uh, people to understand what specifically is happening. Uh, But first of all, stopping uh, border wall construction. I mean, that's in one of the executive orders. Uh, Also, what is this about, Noah? Preserving and fortifying DACA. He doesn't say codifying DACA to law but preserving and fortifying daca by directing the secretary of homeland security to take all appropriate actions under the law to achieve that goal that sounds generic Uh, and finally reversing the ban that restricted entry into the united states from primarily muslim countries that had major connections to terrorism of course that's the way we're putting it Uh, of course the mainstream media the liberal media says he's reversing the muslim ban which is so bogus to begin with it was never a muslim ban but what's your take on
5: some of that That's right. And that's not even to mention another executive order that went into force reducing the number of and the scope of law enforcement in the United States. Deportations are going to go down. Uh, They're going to stop doing interior enforcement like the Trump administration has been doing. So across the board, even before Congress acts, Biden is basically cutting our border security. And and so the amnesty is usually pitched as, look, these people are already here. We'll give them amnesty, yada, yada. Then we'll fortify the border keep the rest out. But Biden's not even pretending to keep anyone out. He's not even making a show of border security, which at least Obama had the sense to do. He's cutting funds for border security. He's stopping. He's not deporting anyone. Uh, he's not even building the wall. Uh, and, you know, he has made sure to keep in place travel restrictions from Europe, even with uh, people who have a COVID test. But he's not keeping any travel restrictions from places that harbor terrorists. It's right. absolutely.
1: Yeah, it's like not make America great again. It's like make America less safe again. Uh, We put in on some COVID restrictions. I also want to put on the climate uh, executive orders. Let's put that up there. Uh, He's going to, as he's already signed it, rejoin the Paris Climate Accord. That'll take effect in 30 days. And he's also going to revoke the presidential permit granted to the Keystone XL pipeline. That's actually been done already. Uh, What is your take on that and what that means uh, for the country?
5: Well, it's terrible news. Uh Killing the Keystone Pipeline is not only going to tick off Canada, one of our closest allies, but it's going to just a huge number of great American jobs. You know, as McCarthy said in that clip, these are union jobs, these are well-paying jobs, and this is the industry that makes America great, right? Under the last four years of the Trump administration, we've become the world's top energy producer. uh, We're not relying on oil from Venezuela and Iran, and it's crippling them. This makes America stronger and our enemies weaker but by killing the Keystone Pipeline, putting us into the Paris Accord, this hurts America. It uh, gives Venezuela, China, Russia, Iran, gives them all an advantage compared to us. So this is America last.
1: Noah, I wanna get your take on something that you said earlier, and I wanna be clear to our audience uh, because this is a major story going forward, whether or not Democrats in the Senate are gonna change the filibuster rule. And I wanna come back to that because I'm curious to get your take as to how serious you think this threat is. Do you really think it could happen? What it would take to happen? Uh, And just so everybody understands, you typically need 60 votes uh, in the Senate. It's called a cloture vote to move to debate on a bill. You need 60 votes to begin that debate. But they're suggesting, let's forget that. It would be 50 votes to not only move to debate, but to pass bills at that point. So if you've changed the cloture, they've done this on judges. But if you change it on legislation, that opens a whole new can of worms. And I think that's a major storyline going forward here
5: absolutely and that's something that heritage action is focusing on that's one of our big fights this year your viewers can find out more about it at heritageaction.com but the filibuster is huge uh, you may not have heard about it or you may not have heard of cloture but the filibuster is the key to all of these far-left reforms without killing the filibuster they won't be able to pass the green new deal they won't be able to defund the police they probably won't be able to pass this immigration bill and so the filibuster is sort of the firewall that's holding all of this back. And so it's a very serious threat. You know, you have a few Democrats that might not vote for this. To, to uh, revise the filibuster, you'd only need 50 plus one. So Joe Manchin's going to feel the squeeze on this. Yep. He's the Democrat. Right. And so folks around the country need to call their senators, especially yeah. somewhere with a moderate Democrat, you need to call them up, tell them how important the filibuster is. Right. This is Right. we can see it go away this year.
1: Noah Weinrich, uh, great insight. really appreciate you on the show. Hope you'll come back. Thanks so much.
5: Absolutely thanks David.
1: All right. Noah Weinrich uh, with some good information there. Uh, that's right. Manchin's going to feel the squeeze Tester, John Tester will feel the squeeze. Pearson Cinema in Arizona as well. Back in a moment with Brent Bozell, uh, founder of the president and of uh, the Media Research Center in a.
2: The Angie's list you know and trust is now Angie and we're so much more than just a list.
1: Welcome to The Water Cooler. Uh, We're back. Hey, what do you know? Television's so cool. Hey, you know, there's so many different uh, love affair stories out there, right? Uh, The Way We Were, uh, The Notebook. Uh, How about the media and the Biden administration? That could be the new love affair. That would be a great movie. Actually, maybe not. Uh, Let's bring in Brent Bozell, uh, the founder and president of the Media Research Center. Uh, Brent, thanks so much for being here. Boy, we've known each other a while. This is crazy, crazy stuff. We're living in crazy times.
4: There really is. And, you know, where love affairs are concerned, this one, there's, there's something kind of erotic here going on. Um, this is a news media that will look you in the face and say that they are a news media. They're nothing of the sort any longer. They are unquestionably the, the, the megaphones for the far left in America today. Um, We've seen it unequivocally these past four years, and we're going to see it in the next four years. A simple proposition here, David. Uh, We tracked this, going back to May of 2015, with the exception of a couple of months when it was in the 80s, in every single month, the national news media coverage of Donald J. Trump was over 90% negative. In the news media, the news, Uh, no matter how many achievements he had, it was negative 90, 95, 96, 97 percent of the coverage was against him. Okay, now comes Joe Biden. Guess what? It's going to be in the exact opposite direction unless, unless he veers from anything from the far left, in which case they'll hit him for it. Other than that, they're going to love him, and you're just saying night and day. Uh, this, is, this makes a mockery of the news media, but you know, I think everyone in America knows that they're not getting news anymore. They're getting radical left—it's not liberalism anymore, it's radical left propaganda.
1: Well, hundred percent. And I say we're in the age of the correspondent is what I call it. In other words, are you a correspondent? Are you a pundit? Are you both? And The, the lines have been blurred. And, and like you said, it goes beyond that. I mean, you go on Twitter nowadays. I mean, I saw April Ryan. Uh, she, her byline is a White House correspondent. And she's typing up things like good riddance to the Trump administration. What is that?
4: What in the <laughs> world is that? Yeah, we used to we used to just poke fun at Andrea Mitchell because on MSNBC she uh, she she was a reporter at night time and an analyst in the morning uh, analyzing the news <laughs> she right. um, But but they're all doing it now. I mean, look 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 at look at CNN. Is there a single impartial reporter at CNN? No. A single one? Yeah, you know, once upon a time you could look at John King and and say you know whatever his his politics were. He made an effort to be to be some kind of neutral. Even Wolf Blitzer did. Wolf Blitzer. They, they yes. Might not have been a good effort, but they at least they tried. They're making no effort. Matter of fact, matter of fact, and you see from these leaked memos that come from Jeff Duck they push it. They are being told, they were being told to be anti-Trump. Why? Because there was a, a business plan here. They could they had a very small bite of the apple, but it was money that they were making nonetheless. And they carved out that bite of the apple where they would be the anti-Trump network. That's all well and good, but take the word news out of your title, because you're not news. You're you're, you're a propaganda arm. Same thing for MSNBC. Now, somebody will come back, David, and they'll say, wait a minute, wait a minute, what about Fox? Isn't Fox the same thing in the opposite direction? Well, the answer is yes with their commentary shows. right? If you look at their news shows, and they are not a lot of news shows on Fox, whether it is Brett Bear show, Bill Hemmer's show, whatever, if it's a news show, I defy you to find the bias in it. Mm. They yeah. make it a point to bring in liberals into their news shows, so news, at Fox is still being honored, although 90% of it is talk show, but news is not being honored at any other network.
1: Yeah, CNN, the most busted name in news, not trusted for sure. Hey, uh, Brent, I want to play you Jen Psaki from uh, her first briefing, uh, talking about truth and facts and Oiga Volt. Here we go, uh, let's play some of this.
0: I come to this podium, having served both in the White House and at the State Department uh, as the spokesperson there. And I traveled the world on trips to promote democracy, uh, where I saw the power of the United States and, of course, the power of this podium uh, and the power of truth and the importance of setting an example of engagement and transparency. So, I will just state, because you gave me the opportunity, I have deep respect for the role of a free and independent press in our democracy and for the role all of you play. Um, As I noted earlier, there will be moments when we disagree, and there will certainly be days where we disagree uh, for extensive parts of the briefing, even, perhaps. But we have a common goal, which is sharing accurate information with the American people. If the President were standing here with me today, he would say he works for the American people. Uh, I work for him, so I also work for the American people. But his objective and his commitment is to bring transparency and truth back to government, uh, to share the truth even when it's hard to hear. Um, And uh, that's something that I hope to deliver on in this role as well.
1: Let me let me just say, uh, Brent. I want to get your take on it. I will say this: I know Jen Pasaki personally. She's a good person. There, there's nothing wrong with Jen at all. Uh, but but here we go with the uh, with the um, truth and facts, and and the media just loves to hear that. Well, two points.
4: Out. I don't know her, but I just expected someone to get up there and start making out with her. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is, this is just a, it. This Wait, what? from what we've seen for the four years. Here's a key word, David, that, that I find very interesting. She talked about transparency. Don't you find it rather remarkable that if you go back, you will find that at the very start of the Obama administration, they also declared they were going to be transparent? And if you go back to the very beginning of the Clinton administration, they also said it was going to be, quote unquote, the most transparent administration in history. And what you saw from both the Bill Clinton and the the Barack Obama administrations was the most incredible lying we've ever seen. Must we remember that about our doctors that we that that you know the line that Obama used about it being one that we could afford? We would keep our doctors and yeah. all that, and that's how we got Obamacare. And then turned out that that his advisor was laughing publicly, saying that that it was a joke and they were lying the whole time. Um, so you had that complete lack of transparency. Again, a good reporter, an honest reporter, yeah. knows all this. And would have stood up and asking a question and would say, Ms. Jan, um, yeah. why do you all continue to say that when it's not true? What should we do Good as point. a press when you lie? What should we do when we learn something you've done? Sorry, that, what do we know about the press, David? Unfortunately, they don't investigate the left ever. I hear
1: you. I would want you to go on forever. I'm up against the heartbreak. Brent Bozell, great to see you, sir. Appreciate it.
2: Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place.
1: Welcome back to the Water Pool, everybody. Uh, I tell you what, there are a lot of segments that I like in the show. Uh, the best segment that we haven't done so far, but I know it'll be the best segment, is when we have an all-you-can-eat buffet that I literally, for the, for the whole show, every segment I'm just eating. Uh, so, Madison, if we could work on that. Madison saying it's coming up very, very soon on the show. So stay tuned for that. But my second best segment of the show has got to be I'm Doug Weed, uh, the presidential historian back on the show, because we, we love Doug Weed. He's like the cow. He's like cowbell does more, more cowbell, more Doug Weed on the show. Hey, Doug, thanks for being here. I appreciate it.
3: David, thanks for having me.
1: All right. Well, uh, Joe Biden and all of these uh, executive orders, it's been a flurry uh, off the bat. Uh, what are some of your uh, overall takes of what you've seen so far?
3: Well, it shows what's important to Joe Biden. I mean, the transgender executive order is rather interesting. It's going to impact what, what your children will learn at school. It's going to allow boys to compete on girls' uh, basketball teams. It basically could end uh, female sports because uh, any Male who thinks he's a girl will be allowed in the girls' restrooms and sports facilities and allowed to compete. And it's really interesting. And uh, back in the Paris Peace Accor- uh, Paris uh, Accords, climate control—that's fascinating. I mean, we we couldn't get it; we couldn't join it uh, legally as a treaty, as you may know, because when the American people uh, were first considering the Kyoto Accord. It was openly debated in the Senate when the American people realized that the United States was going to assume the burden for cleaning up pollution in Africa and all of Asia, India, China, and those countries there weren't going to have to do anything at all to comply. Well, the American people voted it down. So Obama got us into the Paris Accords by saying it wasn't a treaty. He said you can Google and find the old YouTubes where he's giving speeches saying this is not a, a treaty. It's an agreement. So it didn't require Senate approval and didn't require a debate. But it's, this, it's just fascinating to me. Uh, they said that uh, the world would end in 10 years, that was AOC, that was, what, six years ago. Biden said on the campaign trail that uh, the world as we knew it would would be, would be end in seven years. So they've been saying this, they usually keep it 10 years, and they keep moving it up. The most comical, I'll get off this, uh, David, but the most comical moment is you would arrive at Glac- Glacier National Park. Your viewers can still Google this. Google the sign Glacier National Park. And they had these signs up in the Obama years. You'd arrive there and it would say Glacier National Park will not exist by the year 2020 because of gas emissions and global warming. So when Trump became president, the park services took those down because obviously Glacier National Park is still there. Right. So here we go again. This is going to be fun.
1: Yeah. Boy, I tell you what, the climate activists, they're a piece of work for sure. I I want to go back to something you said at the beginning. I want to put up Madison Parker, if we can put up that um, uh, executive order regarding transgender, um, uh, the transgender issue. And I want to read specifically uh, what this says. And, And here's what it says. It says children should be able to learn without worrying about whether they will be denied access to the restroom, the locker room, or school sports, which is exactly uh, what you said, uh, Doug. And and this strikes me as a situation where if Joe Biden wants unity in this country, look, I get public policy positions are going to differ between Republicans and Democrats and liberals and conservatives, but this strikes right in the suburbs. I mean, this this doesn't feel like a liberal or conservative issue at this point. I mean, I think there are a lot of moms uh, who are – are liberal, let's say, who are like, wait a minute, hold on for a second. Uh, you know, my liberal son or daughter, or excuse me, my liberal daughter might not have a shot at a scholarship because you know you've got the boys competing against her. Uh, so, so I don't know. I'm just wondering if this just seemed a bit over the top.
3: <laughs> it seems over the top to me, but what do I know? <laughs> and as to the climate control, when Harvard and Yale had their annual football game a couple years ago. Uh, at halftime, the students rushed out onto the infield and protested and delayed the start of the game. And why wouldn't they? They're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to get an education at Harvard and Yale, where they tell them the world will end in 10 years, and they give their football coach a multi-year, multi-million dollar contract. Why are you playing football and why are you committing to the next 10 years if the world's going to end in 10 years? Obviously, it isn't going to end in 10 years. And this is all BS that's used to make money and elect people and scare people, which is the whole idea. So that's why I say, here we go again. The same with the transgender thing. There could be more common sense ways of dealing with it. My heart goes out to a parent who has a child where the gender is not established physically at birth, and that happens from time to time, but to change all of society and to allow people to think they're now an African American or an Indian or that they're a girl or a boy, I think is carrying it a little bit too far. Oh,
1: for sure. By the way, uh, you mentioned, you've been talking about climate change quite a bit, which makes me think that not only is it downright scary, but what we're talking about is a total restructuring of the United States economy. I mean, this is what they want. I mean, they want more than that even. I mean, they, they, they want to totally change society as we know it. Like, you, like what, no more airplanes? And uh, can I say the word? Uh, I, don't, I don't want to say that word, but it has something to do with cows, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, the, the, <laughs> literally, this is insane stuff, honestly, Doug.
3: Yeah, you know, David, uh This was a missing piece for me, what I'm about to tell you, for most of my life. In 40 years in the Republican establishment and in the Bush world, I finally learned this little secret I'm about to tell you that surprised me. The reason the big monopolies like regulations, environmental regulations, any kind of regulations, every regulation that Biden can sign helps them. The reason they like these regulations is it's prohibitive for small business to meet them. Uh, The American Disability Act, uh, if you run a donut shop, you gotta rebuild your restroom and it costs $150,000. You can do that if you're Dunkin' Donuts, you can't do it if you're David Brody Donuts. Yeah. Well, they like that, but here's the missing piece I had. Got to run. Got to they- run quickly, Doug. Go ahead quickly. Got ten All right. seconds. When they pass a stimulus bill, those big monopolies are exempted from the very regulations yep. that everybody else had to keep.
1: Yeah, now that is the big, it's the dirty little secret. You're absolutely right. Doug, we, great to see you, sir. We'd love to have you back. Good to see you, David. All right, thank you. And and by the way, I just want to say free donuts, everybody, at David Brody's Donuts, which is going to be the new sponsor of the show. All right, back in a moment. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Welcome back to The Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, Hey, I'm going to do my invitation to Joe Biden. Uh, Oh, you can't see that or something. Here, I'll just do it like this. Next. Next. Executive orders. Up the yin-yang. We like that term. I don't know even what it means. I'll have to Google it. Maybe I shouldn't have used it. Anyhow, uh, but he's signing them up up the yin-yang. And let's get more on all of that from uh, Aaron Solomon uh, with uh, the senior strategist from nextlevel.com. Aaron, uh, good to see you,
6: sir. It's great to be back. I didn't know we'd be using yin-yang today, but it's a bonus.
1: Yeah, I tell you what, anytime you can get yin-yang in a show, it's always good. And by the way, just to confirm, you're not related to John Solomon or Solomon from the Bible. Just double-checking that before we get going. I'm
6: definitely related to Solomon from the Bible.
1: Oh, you are related. You have the DNA uh, ancestry to prove that? How How do we confirm that?
6: Um, I'm sure it's available online, as everything is. These days, everything's online.
1: (laughs) That's a good point. That's true. All right. uh, You know what else is online? Uh, You can read all of uh, Joe Biden's executive orders. uh, And boy, there's a lot of reading to do. Uh, What's your take on what he's been doing in these first uh, 48 hours, 24 to 48 hours?
6: So the first thing that I want to say from a legal perspective is that, you know, executive orders, the power to give executive orders comes from Article 2 of the Constitution. And executive orders can in no way extend the president's power. That's really critically important. At least what I can say so far from what I've seen is not one of the executive orders that the president has signed, and I agree that Penn is getting a really good workout in the first day, have done anything to extend the power of the president. There's supposed to be this dynamic tension between the executive, the judiciary, and the legislative branches. It's the same thing with executive orders.
1: Yeah, and so then I wanted to show a little bit of what you said. I I, I want to put this up on the screen uh, because you wrote about this, and this is what you said. You said the most important thing uh, to realize about an executive order and something that will frame all of the executive orders we see from President Biden over the coming days is that they cannot create new presidential powers. It is the exact opposite, actually. An executive order is a way for the president to use a power already assigned to them, so it kind of begs the question, what's the delineation line? Where does it get into murky territory? How do we know an executive order has potentially gone too far?
6: Well, the president has certain powers accorded to him or her from the Constitution. Let's pick one from yesterday, right? Going back into the Paris Agreement. So the president has the role of head of state. It's not the judiciary that's the head of state. It's not the legislature that's the head of state. It was President Trump, and today it's President Biden. So to pull in or out of the Paris Accord is absolutely within the scope of the head of state power, of the chief executive of the United States. So, I mean, anybody who would argue otherwise on one like that uh, isn't getting a good grasp of the Constitution. Whether or not it was advisable politically, that's something that people can debate and will debate for the next four years.
1: Yeah. So, so where are we going from here? I mean, what, what is your sense about uh, historically? I, I know FDR was like the, the king of executive orders, was he not? Of course, he was in office a longer than most.
6: Oh, my oh. gosh. FDR did something like 3,700 executive orders. But it's funny, though, you know, one thing, w- w- there's one myth we're going to bust right now. People thought that President Obama did lots of executive orders, and maybe it seemed like he did, but he did under 400 orders, I believe. And I think there was only one year in the nine calendar years that, at least for part of the year that he was president, that I believe he exceeded 40 orders. So FDR, yeah, did a lot of orders. And President Biden is going to do a lot of orders over these fir- next you know, few days. So don't be surprised. <laughs> there's more coming.
1: Talk to me about the teeth in some of these executive orders. Sometimes I feel like some have more teeth than others, like, for example, the Paris Climate Accord. Okay? They're going to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord. That's a big deal. There's others that feel a little bit more symbolic or or, or a little, little less, uh, less teeth
6: in them. What, what's your sense? I agree with you 100%. I mean, the reality is, look, a lot of executive orders are political because they are engendered to create or reverse political goodwill. But... On the other hand, a lot of the ones that he signed are super hyper practical. Look at the, you know, Excel uh, Keystone pipeline. That executive order is, you know, has billions of dollars of political and financial implication attached to it. And also I believe that the first major head of state that President Biden is gonna have a conversation with is Justin Trudeau of Canada. And I, I know because I actually am Canadian, living within canada justin trudeau is getting a lot of pressure from every side to do something or not something about keystone
1: well while you brought it up uh, canada and justin trudeau what is the sense because we had a noah weinrich on earlier from the heritage foundation here said canada overall is going to be pretty ticked off about this from a financial standpoint what 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 is your sense Uh, what's your read up there
6: i disagree see i think that canada is so fractured and divided Um, like the United States is in so many ways, here it tends to go more geographically. So if you look at Alberta, if you look at the West of Canada, yeah, this is a huge deal. The the premier of Alberta, Jason Kenney, has been all up in arms about what's been going on. And if you look at East of Canada, and I'm a native Montrealer, um, and I recently moved back to Montreal from spending four years living in Berlin. Very happy, by the way, to talk about America's reputation internationally because that's something that is going to be worked on over the next few weeks. So Canada is divided on what's going on with Keystone. It's not as big of a deal in the eastern part of Canada.
1: Do you know the history about challenging executive orders? How how rare is it? Can can Executive orders, obviously they can be challenged, right? By Congress and to the courts. I mean, uh, talk to me a little bit about how that would work exactly.
6: It's, as you said, it's pretty rare. If either the judiciary or the legislature or both feels that any president is overstepping his or her bounds, in issuing executive orders, they can be challenged. Congress essentially has the power to veto an executive order if they can make the case that the executive order is the president usurping power that has been constitutionally guaranteed to either the executive or the legislature. I try to explain American law and politics sometimes to an international audience. And the thing that they need to understand is that this dynamic tension that exists between these branches of government is intentional. Right, the framers on down meant to do this. And if we see some of this dynamic tension emerge over the first hundred days, I personally think that's a good thing.
1: Yeah. But I have about 30 seconds left or so. My sense is we're going to get quite a few executive orders from Biden based on the fact that he they want to they the Biden administration wants to undo a lot of what Trump did by executive order.
6: Yes, and part of what you're gonna see in these executive orders is gonna create a need for funding. If you look at something like this idea that we're gonna have 100 million vaccines by the end of April, part of what needs to go along with that is a lot of funding. Um, And also, one of the things that we're gonna see is a lot of revisiting of the economic stimulus packages. There are people, as you know, who believe that it shouldn't happen. Yeah. There are other people who believe that the economic stimulus goes right back in the economy.
1: Aaron Solomon, I learned so much from you because your last name is, wait for it, Solomon, of course. So you're your wives. Thank you very much,
6: David. It's always a pleasure to be here.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Aaron, appreciate it. Uh, from uh, north of the border. Uh, there in Canada. I want, Next time we have Aaron on, we got to see if he speaks French because he said he's from Montreal, We oui, wee. Oui. And so you wonder if he's just going to say the whole segment in French. That would be kind of cool. Back in a moment.
2: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality, so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle, find love at first drive, and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
1: Welcome back to The Water Cooler, everybody. Time for today's last sip. Poor, (laughs) I'm laughing already, poor, poor Mitch McConnell. The Senate majority, oops, the Senate minority leader now, um, I tell you what, you got to feel for him. Uh, He was at the inauguration the other day and, you know, I know everybody, all the eyes and all the attention was, were on Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and the whole thing. Well, my eyes, because I'm a little goofy, a little different, my eyes were were actually on Mitch McConnell. Uh, Take a look at this. The leading force for good in the world.
4: I know speaking of unity it can sound to some way
1: what what was he thinking? I mean, can we we should put some thought bubbles up by his head? Could we play this video again? I mean, let, let's just go through this. Okay. There it is. Beautiful. And Joe Biden talking and, you know, oh, so sweeping and uplifting and unity and Jill Biden, Dr. Jill Biden, Dr. Biden, whatever. And there we are. <laughs> What is he thinking? Why am I here? Shoot. I'm here. I don't like Trump, uh, Biden. I like him. The Navy bean soup is good, when we're at the Senate, but I'm freezing and I could have afforded a bigger, better mask. But other than that, My thinking with Mitch McConnell is he's in a world of trouble. The Republican Party is in a world of trouble right now because guess who the kingmaker is? You know, let's all say it together, Donald Trump. Anyhow, uh, and McConnell is sitting there going, what a disaster the way it all ended. And so then the question is, you know, what's the future of the Republican Party for Mitch McConnell? for Liz Cheney, for Mitt Romney, for Lisa Murkowski, for Susan Collins. I mean, is, real, is this the Ben Sass that I, miss, miss, I missed uh, his name? I missed to put his name in there. Is that even correct English? Anyhow, the bottom line is this. Is it an establishment Republican party or is it MAGA Nation? Or is it a combination of both, which doesn't seem like it's going to actually work for either side? Uh, I can tell you this much. Mitch McConnell sitting out there in the cold, Metaphorically, that kind of works because he's kind of out there in the cold. Uh, People do not like him right now within the Republican ranks. The majority of Republicans are not big fans of Mitch McConnell. Do the traditional Republicans like him? Yeah, of course. But so what? That's not the wave of the future. Donald Trump, MAGA Nation, the metamorphosis of the movement is the wave of the future. Back in a moment.
3: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
1: Welcome back to The Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, it's the end of the show. We say the best for last. And that means Nick Balasey is with us, uh, Just the News uh, reporter there at justthenews.com. Nick, I have officially called you the best in show.
7: Thank you so much, David. It means a lot.
1: <laughs> I'm sure it does. Yeah, put that on your LinkedIn profile. All right. Uh, talk to me a little bit about uh, the Democrats' agenda going forward here. What, what are we looking at, Nick?
7: Well, it looks like they're already preparing to use a budget reconciliation, which is a tool they can use on certain bills, not all, uh, to get them passed on the floor with a simple majority. Uh, Biden's been talking about unity. That was the theme of his inaugural address. But Bernie Sanders, who's the uh, incoming chairman of the budget committee, was talking about already how they want to use budget reconciliation if the Republicans don't come on board with key parts of their agenda, like raising the federal minimum wage to at least $15 per hour, they're ready to use uh, the budget reconciliation tool to get these initiatives through. So I think we're going to see a lot of that talk using these legislative maneuvers to get some of their key agenda items passed, because Harris is the tie-breaking vote. It's 50-50 now in the Senate. Yeah. And House is going to pass these big bills, whether it's the stimulus plan Biden's talking about, which is almost 2000000000000 trillion. He's got a $2 trillion climate change plan. He's got all kinds of agenda items that he wants to move forward. Student debt is another one. These are things that could all come from the House, and then they could try to use a budget reconciliation to get these things through because they're going to have an impact on the budget and their fiscal-related bills so they can get this done possibly that way. So that's something to look out for.
1: Yeah, Nick Ballacy, I really appreciate it. I'm glad you brought that up because you say fiscal-related. If people don't understand budget re- reconciliation, look, if it has some sort of fiscal tie-in, somehow, some way, you can pass it uh, under budget reconciliation rules. In other words, 50 votes only. So I really appreciate it, Nick. Thanks so much. Thank
7: appreciate you. It.
1: All right, sounds good. Nick, with the nice decor, by the way. You know, here's what we do at the show. I'm just going to say it straight up. Because you know, we talk about it in the break, but I'm just going to bring it. I'm going to bring it here, live on television. We rate Skype shots. And I'm not going to give them a 10, okay? Because, you know, we're very selective on our 10s. But that was a solid 6.5. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, you know, Nick in the shot gave it a 10. The picture was fine. And then uh, the lamp brought it up to a 6.5. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. That's what we do. We judge Skype shots. See you.